BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Abe Lincoln's Top Hat is brought to you by Audible.com. Go to audibletrial.com slash Top Hat to sign up for a free trial. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Fool me, we can't get fooled again. Yeah, so that's it. Excellent. Well, I'm ready to. I'm ready to do it. Awesome. Welcome to the show, everyone. That's Marcus Parks. I'm Ben Kissel. Uh, honored to be joined by writer and and former editor from the Onion, Joe Garden. Hello. Hello, Joe. It's good to. It's great <laughs> to be here. Human introduction. Hello, Joe. I am man. Are you man? Uh, I am. I'm sorry. I'm also like. I'm since I'm skyping this in right now. I'm. I'm. My cat is currently like crawling over the keyboard, so I'm having to wrestle with him to keep him the hell away from. Uh, to keep him off the air. Yeah, that's right. You don't want the cat taking all your all your uh, carp launch. Yeah, he's a he's a glory hog. Anyway, <laughs> well, he definitely dominates the internet. <laughs> and there's nothing worse than working your ass off for an internet video and you think it's gold, and then you're immediately bumped from all lists because a cat took a fart in a pool. <laughs> you know, it's always a cat doing something human, but then when a human does it, everyone's just like, seen it. <laughs> If I could train my cat to fart uh, to fart in a pool, I would totally I would totally capitalize on that. Oh, you got it! But he only farts when he wants to, so I can't uh, I can't um, <laughs> I can't make him do nothing. That's the thing with those cat videos. I think they just you you got to follow around a cat for hours and hours and hours to catch one adorable moment. <sighs> it's it's sad. a number, it's a numbers game. It's basically you just like you're just pumping out volumes of volumes upon volumes of videos there, just like gigabytes and gigabytes and yep. gigabytes. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously, what January seventh, Charlie Edbo, uh, his office was shot up by the Kowachi brothers, uh, which sounds like a duo from vaudeville, but it's not. Um, they're uh, they're a group uh, possibly affiliated with ISIL or ISIS um, uh, or a series of Al Qaeda on the something peninsula, Arabian Arabian Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Um, so they shot up the offices. These two dudes and uh, twelve people are dead in total after the event. Seventeen are dead. Um, but let's just talk about what Edbo did. Obviously, you are a man who knows satire very well. 19 years working at The Onion. Just let's start off with the most basic question. What's satire and what do you think is the goal? What should be the goal of all satirical, um, whether it be writing, whether it be performance or uh, cartoons? What's the end game for a good piece of satire? I think the end game is to be able to tell the truth without saying anything factual <laughs> well, that's what we like to do right here on Abling and Top Hat. You can actually, I mean, it's actually, it's glib, but it's actually kind of honest. Uh, well, one of the Onion's strengths is that it was able to to make a larger point without actually 
having to be mired down by the facts. Right. Uh, you could, you know, you could actually uh, talk about, like, you know, for example, uh, the Onion's take on Joe Biden was that he was a sort of weird, hard-partying, avuncular uh, uh, guy, and it sort of... I thought that you said the Onion didn't get mired down in facts. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that his uh, every single newspaper article, uh, ed- article uh, would describe Joe Biden the exact same way. Well, it's funny because as we did, as we as we continued to do it, other people started to pick up on it, and that right. actually started to become the the Biden persona that everybody started to. <laughs> well, what do you think about that when it comes to satire? And I mean, obviously, we have something like the Daily Show. You have Colbert Report. We have uh, the majority of a lot of people under the age of twenty five get their legitimate news sources from these parody news uh, organizations that are not, you know, tethered to any sort of. Um, you know, rules and regulations when it comes down to like, uh, you know, editing and, and whatnot. Not that CNN or Fox do a particularly great job of staying honest to the truth, but at the very least, there's this notion that they'll attempt to. What do you think about the idea of people starting to take magazines like The Onion a little bit serious and, uh, and almost try to uh, bring them into uh, the uh, discussion as rational news? Um, I have mixed feelings about that. I think part of me thinks that it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of a shame because let me think um, I think it's like a, the world is not served by people who get their news entirely from joke uh, joke stories and joke uh, publications right shows but I think at the same time if there's any way you know I mean sometimes maybe people do need uh, a satire or some sort of like humorous format to make the to make the news more palatable in some way so i guess in that respect it's it's not bad but the problem with satire is that every satire has an agenda otherwise it's not satire otherwise it's just sort of like i love lucy and oh lucy had an agenda she was messing with desi she knew what she was up to she was making him live it lucy they all have an agenda her liberal agenda was to say the word pregnant on the air. Oh, my God. <laughs> that feminist agenda down the nation's throats. Unbelievable. Um, so what was the Onion's point of view? Uh, generally, I think we... The party line at the Onion is that we don't really have a... we That the Onion did not have a... You know, we weren't, weren't left or right. We were just... The Onion was just anti-stupidity. So you, so it was sort of like there's only one rule at this party. We got a party, <laughs> and party we did. Uh, yes, you, you did. If you ever went to a Whiskey Friday, you would have, uh, man, uh, those were something. Uh, but, uh, I loved Whiskey Friday. Whiskey Fridays are great, and our good in, friend. The, uh, yeah, yeah, in the, uh, I guess, the defense of full or the, in the interest of full disclosure, I worked at the Onion for six months. That's how I got to to meet Joe, and I was at one of the first Whiskey Fridays. I used to go get the whiskey for Whiskey Fridays. Wow, that's great. <laughs> That's great. And of course, our good friend Baratunde Thurston, uh, who's the author of the book How to Be Black, still does those Whiskey Fridays to this day. He does. And I would uh, I would do it, uh, except for now I'm in the middle of nowhere. And uh, Well, I'm not in the middle of nowhere. I'm in, in upstate New York, and there's not nearly... Now you have to drive everywhere, so having a Whiskey Friday isn't quite as... as simple uh yeah and it's not that exciting when you live upstate and you have a whiskey monday through sunday (laughs) you know let's be honest you live in the middle of nowhere you got to be drunk just to survive 
I did just finish a beer with my lunch, so that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and your lunch was a beer, so, you know, I always have a beer with my beer. It was actually, uh, it, was, uh, it was beer and liverwurst sandwich, so... Uh, wow. So okay. with the onion, so we have, we have something with the onion. You, you say it's not left or right. There's a situation going on with Edbo, and this is what you talk about in your Vice article um, in the defense of offense, uh, which is a great article. It's very short. Uh, just Google it and read it. It's awesome. Um, but you were saying that uh, they definitely had an agenda, the magazine, Edbo's um, magazine, and it was very anti-Muslim, and it was very, um, you would argue, it was extremely offensive. And they sort of knew what they were doing, riling up um, the minority individuals in France that were, aren't particularly well-respected to begin with. I don't think that their agenda is entirely anti-Muslim. I think that they would, I mean, they would argue that their agenda is just, I mean... There's a tradition in in France of, of secular humanism that, uh, which is sort of a weird, you know. I mean, to me, it's a little bit weird because their idea is that you know, oh, we're we value secular humanism over over religion. But the thing is, they seem to value secular humanism uh, as much as any religious person would value religion. So right. it's very. Uh, so I don't necessarily think that they would they would have characterized themselves as being anti-Muslim. I think they just saw themselves as being this this sort of uh they were just anti-religion in general and i think right. that but it's like i so i think it's like it's a difficult situation to be to do that and to uh, because I, I mean at a certain point like you know there's a lot of good points that can be made with uh you know a lot of good anti-religious points that can be made and can be made in a funny way but I don't necessarily know that like some of the things that they were running were didn't seem to have a real satirical bent to me. To me, it just seemed like it was almost uh, offensive for the sake of being offensive. Right. And I don't think that's necessarily bad. Uh, you know, there's the whole. Uh, if you look back at the the famous case with the People versus Larry Flint, with uh, the cartoon of Jerry Falwell, uh, Jerry Falwell and his mother having sex at an outhouse. You know, that was my favorite piece of porno they ever uh, had in Hustler. <laughs> I jacked off to that so much. It was ridiculous. It's such a weird thing. You know, it's so weird to think that, that was like, the, you know, that's where they found their, you know, that's where they found their case was in these sort of like these cartoons. Uh, right. As opposed to, you know, split beaver shots with people pissing with women pissing and whatever uh that didn't bother people that much but uh no but you draw a cartoon of, of jerry falwell and boy you gotta watch out right so, so there is something with the religious aspect to it that makes it extremely hostile and that'll get more people upset uh than if it's just a chick taking a taking a dump on some you know whatever yes exactly no. uh cleveland steamers in uh religious religious uh, parody out oh uh, that's yeah. right cleveland steamers <laughs> some of the hottest stuff around. Do you think that uh, with The Onion, I mean, obviously, um, you know, the United States, we have so many different cultures here. We have people of different, you know, religions, races, uh, orientations, and, uh, you know, different backgrounds from all over the world. So it sort of makes it easier to mock everybody all at once because we're sort of all in this together, you know? But you have a place like France where in 2011 they banned the burqa. They're very, like, assimilate or leave, which means I think you have to know how to smell different cheeses from a block away or something. I have no idea how you assimilate. <laughs> Late into France. I think you just have to become snooty and then occasionally fart quiet. Um, do you think? Bleu. Yeah. Mm. You uh, have to say sacre bleu every time you fart as well. <laughs> well maybe. Oh la la. Um, so, do you think that that's sort of one of the reasons that these cartoons are taken with such a more serious, um, 
when, with, with, with more of a serious uh, tone and people get angrier and angrier because the laws of the land there are equally um, offensive. I think that there's something to that. I think that there's definitely, you know, there's uh, there's a lot more, you know, there's a lot more, like, hard, I mean, my understanding is that there's a lot more hard segregation of yes, yes. the Muslim population in Paris. In uh, all, like, you know, there's all, all kind of, uh, like, the different uh, quarters in arrondissements, I believe is the, the word. But uh, I think that there's prob- that probably has something to do with it. Like, we're not... America is... is, is you know, it's funny the 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 buzz phrase everybody uses for uh, the United States is that we're the great America. It's the great American melting pot, right? But really, we're not a great American melting pot. We're just sort of like we're more of a like a live and let live kind of. You know, oh, that's what he does. Great. I mean, I you know before I moved up here, I lived in Greenpoint, which is like a very heavy Polish neighborhood, uh, right? Mm. And uh, but there's also like a very like there's a the Greenpoint uh, Greenpoint Islamic Center, which right. I always thought was kind of a weird, uh, you know, sort of it just sort of stood out just because you have, you know, drunk Polish people like sort of like staggering up the like climbing up the street uh, by like lurching from fence post to fence post, uh, and then you have the the uh, Greenpoint Islamic Center, uh, and you know, but nobody nobody better than I, nobody ever said anything. It was just part of the. You know, part of the continuum, right? Well, I'm sure the uh, the people going to the Islamic Center had some very fun negative Polish <laughs> words in their head, um, because I'll tell you, there is something about the green, uh, a true Greenpoint Brooklyn old school Polish. They know how to drink like they're still in Poland. Oh my God! Holy Christ! Don't there's not a bed in the whole goddamn area. It's not that any they know sidewalk to- you see, that'll do. I, it's not that they know how to drink. It's they don't know how to stop drinking, I think, is the problem. Right. Uh, yeah, so, you know, so, yeah, you're right. It's not so much a melting pot like a fondue, for example. It's more right. of like a platter. It's like you got your meats separated and your cheeses separated, and in the middle there is sort of a, uh, you know, more of a melting pot, sort of a New York City type, uh, like a, a, a French dip. Yeah, like a cru- sort of a crudite. You have your vegetable spread, and like every, but everybody can go in the dip uh, whenever they want. So, right. You know, I, I, I think that's like you know, I, I feel like the United States is, well, I mean, with one grand exception, has been very accommodating. You know, there hasn't really been a whole lot of you know, since two thousand one, there hasn't been very many. Uh, you know, even when that jackass was. Uh, even when that jackass was was threatening to bo- like to burn piles of Qurans, you know there right. was there was outrage on all fronts. Like everybody was saying, you know, why are you doing this? There's no point to doing this. You are just being, you know, and it wasn't just uh, it was. I mean, that didn't have a satirical point at all. That just had a that was just sort of a uh, a it, point of uh, trying to garner publicity. It was a little bit on the nose. I yeah. will say, but good for the Koran business, I guess, in a lot of ways as well. He still had to buy him, which is so ironic. Mm-hmm. I know. Unless, right. uh, unless maybe he found a good deal on him. Maybe he just bought him in bulk. I'm not really sure. Right. So, but that's the thing. You guys, after, obviously, you referred to uh, 9-11-2001, uh, The Onion, I mean, this is a difficult time for all comedy, you know? I know... Um, uh, I believe Letterman went on the air the night afterwards, or maybe a couple of days. But either way, it was very quick, yeah. and it's like a very difficult thing to, to to tackle. But the Onion did a really good job of covering nine eleven. What was that like in the in the offices? Because obviously, you can't go too far, but you also have to deal with it. And you're also what uh, less than a mile from Ground Zero. Like cause we, your your offices were in Soho. 
Well, we were actually went at the time we were in Chelsea, so we were about like two miles away. Ah, okay. Uh, we were on 20th, 15th, 10th, and 11th. You could actually, but you could see the World Trade Center. You could see the towers from uh, one of the windows. Um, I think the offices, there was a really, there was a sense of sort of like, there was a committed sense of, uh, well, I, I mean, I will put it through my, my, through the Joe Garden filter. I thought we were doomed. I thought this was. <laughs> yeah. I honestly thought that when we did this, we were just going to be run out. We had just moved to New York earlier that year, and I thought by doing an issue entirely devoted to September 11th, that we were going to be run out of town. That nobody was going to understand what we were trying to do. Right. In fact, I wasn't even. You know, I just got started going full time, and we had never. You know, we had never tackled anything quite like that before, and I. I, you know, my shortcoming is that I just didn't understand what, our, like, what the function was, what our purpose was in that case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was this very, uh, you know, it wasn't quite a graveyard. It wasn't quite like a, uh, a, a graveyard sense. And there was neither, like, I didn't know what our purpose was. I thought that, you know, I didn't think that this was going to be something that was a great statement. I thought it was just our, you know, we all thought this was just our job. Right. Uh, to go in there and to this, uh, you know, to sort of like, because we were uh, satirizing the news, this was all, what, this is everything the news was about. So that was kind of our, we saw that as our job. And while well, the same, on one hand, I didn't think it was going to be uh, a good idea. On the other hand, I also acknowledged that it was what we needed to, what we needed to do. And there's some very funny things in that. Like I look right. back at that and there's some things that are just like, they're not just of the time. They're also just like, just they stand as like very funny things. Like not like my favorite is not uh, one that Carol Cole wrote. It was uh, not knowing what else to do. Woman bakes American flag cake. <laughs> right, right. No, I remember that. I remember uh, when that issue came up very clearly. I was a freshman in college when uh, this whole thing happened. You know, huge, huge Onion fan. And that was something when that came out. There was a, a sense of relief. Like you could actually, like my favorite in that is like America turns into bad Michael Bay films. <laughs> uh, like that was right. That, I actually printed that one out and, and put it up in my walls, like kind of a reminder, like how ridiculous everything is mm-hmm. uh, and how surreal all of it was. Well, that's interesting, Mark, as you say some kind of relief, and I think that's exactly the way that I took it as well, and I think that was sort of the angle that most of American comedians took after 9-11 was to, you know, let the gas out, let we have to, you know, let some steam off and, uh, you know, dry up the tears and stuff and use some comedy, and that was sort of what The Onion did there. Now you have someone like Edbo. I don't know if that was really their purpose, and Joe, I want you to speak to that. Do you think their point was to ease tensions? Because that's the that's the best part of what comedy can do, is ease, and you know, I have the gay older brothers and two Christian parents, and to get through eating our, uh, you know, our liverwurst dinner, because we're both from Wisconsin, Joe, and the only <laughs> thing we're allowed to eat is liverwurst, and it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that in a lie that is a lie it's one of the most disgusting things that's ever happened it's very edible yeah you should put a little you should put a cattail on and whiskers because it's it's feline food um but that's okay uh but nonetheless with edbo do you feel like their intent was wasn't to calm the tensions in france between these two different communities do you think that they were going with a more aggressive like affront to the muslim community i think you know it's funny i can't I honestly don't know. I, I, like I said, it, it, like I said in the Vice article, there were some cartoons that I thought had a very, like, good and salient uh, satirical point. One, like one which was like was a uh, uh, a terrorist, uh, a Muslim terrorist, about to 
kill the Prophet Muhammad because he wasn't extreme enough. Um, right. right. I thought that was actually a really that's a, you know that's an interesting that's a, that's definitely a like a great satirical point as far as I'm concerned. Um, but there was also one where the the Prophet Muhammad and he's naked and he's exposing his asshole and there's a star over his asshole and I'm just like that's I mean to me that didn't make a whole lot of sense like I don't understand I think that's just I think that's just inflammatory and lazy and lazy well, but it, I think it, I think it also stands in the the French tradition of just kind of like of being uh, a little bit offensive I mean there's a reason. There's a reason that like the friend like the 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 France's favorite comedian is Jerry Lewis. Uh, it's not the most sophisticated thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not the I think they have a different sensibility, and I, I think that they would argue that there was nothing like they were not trying to anger or offend people. They were just trying to point out how silly this this prescription against uh, depicting the Prophet Muhammad is. Although, right, I've talked to people, and you know, there is I mean, there's nothing in the Whereas it is a belief of Muslims and of, of like some Muslims and some people that you should not depict the Prophet Muhammad. It's not a cross-religion thing. There's nothing in the Quran about it. As my brother pointed out, my brother's a professor of uh, Islamic history and, and religious studies. He's like, you could read the entire Quran and never know that there was a person named, uh, named Muhammad that was involved in it. Uh, hmm. So it's... You know, it's so it's interesting. It's a, I so think, they, right. So, 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 basically, just uh, at some mosque somewhere, they were like, "Let's put a picture of Muhammad somewhere," and then the uh, the town artist died. They're like, "Nah, we just we let's not draw him ever. <laughs> we have no ability to do it. So let's make it against this mosque's uh, rules to draw him at all." You mentioned Jerry Lewis, and obviously the French do have a lot of insane takes taste when it comes to comedy. Um, there was a there's a conspiracy theory out there that some of the video footage from the uh, from the shooting is fake, but oh. uh, well, there's, there's always conspiracy there's, theory right. every time. But there's it's, any it's sort a of false it, flag. It, yes. right. if that was the case, they would have been wearing like big bozo shoes, and it would have been like <laughs> black and white, and looked like there would have been a banana peel on the ground someone was slipping on. So I don't think the French have the ability to really fake a false flag operation. No. But, so you know, but obviously, uh, with Edbo, their their offices had been bombed uh, previously, and they were very aware of the fact that uh, there was one guy, one of the twelve victims that was shot in the office. They interviewed his girlfriend, and she was like, he knew he was going to die. They were well aware of the fact uh, that they were going to die. Where do you draw the line when it comes to personal safety? And and still maintaining, you know, artistry. They just today they released on the new cover. It says all is forgiven, and it says Je suis Charlie. Obviously, the Prophet Muhammad holding that up. So they're uh-huh. not going to back down at all. What is your personal? Uh, where do you personally draw the line? And where do you think it's a it's a healthy balance for society to remain, you know, um, brave, have freedom of speech, but also um, have some sympathy towards other people's feelings? I think. If there was a if there was a satirical, I think that there's no such like somebody. When I was at the Onion, one of the questions we were always asked is, "How far is too far?" And the answer is, there is no topic that is too far. There's no topic we won't touch if we can come out on the right side of it. Mm-hmm. If we can find a take that is funny and makes a makes a point and is like hitting up, then we will we will do that and without without hesitation. I think that. For me, personal like personal safety. Well, I'm actually kind of curious about Marcus's take on that because, like, 
Marcus, when you were at the Onion, did you ever have, uh, did you have your exit strategy planned? My exit strategy as far as people coming in and uh, shooting up the place? Yes. I Well, I do remember there was a bulletin board, because I was an intern there, and there was a bulletin board right next to uh, the intern area that had letters from people uh, that had been sent to the end, because, of course, this was you know 2006, so mm. people still wrote <laughs> a lot more right, right. letters. Uh, and I never really thought about I did think about uh, people coming in possibly doing something, uh, but you know what's funny is that uh, uh, Joe Randazzo also wrote, uh, another Onion writer also wrote uh, an editorial, and he made a really good point, is that the only person standing between us and death was a five-foot-tall, uh, wispy young woman named Jessie. She was your security guard? <laughs> she was our, she a little tattooed, so the nicest, uh, nicest woman in the right. world. But yeah, just this really small, tiny, tattooed receptionist. Uh, she was the, the only line of defense. There I, wasn't a doorman. Uh, like, I would argue the, oh, safest, the safest office in New York, if that's the case. I would never <laughs> mess with a five-foot-two tattooed-up woman who's just like, I'm working the front door. I'm like, all right. Unless they got stuck in the elevator there was right there was nothing standing in between <laughs> but uh Joe- I actually it's funny because for me i actually had a i had an exit strategy what was yours uh i was actually well at the time marcus was there my office was in the back so i i the, it crossed my my mind is like well do can i be a hero could i if I, this happened could i be a hero could i stop anything could i throw something at the guy or would i just like dart out this back door which is right across the street like right across the hall from my office you know and so that, those are the two. Uh, one, the one was dart out the back door, and the other far less likely scenario was be a hero. Yeah. yeah. So you uh, fantasize about being a hero, and when it happens, you're like, "Oh, that's right, I'm a writer. I'm not a hero. No, no. No upper body strength. That's right. Yeah, Joe, you would be. You'd have been almost the last. You were the almost the last office. If they would have come in through the front door, you would have been, if I remember correctly, second to last uh, for the gunman. So yeah. you you would have been the last line of defense before the writers' room. Let me ask you this, Marcus. Did you have an exit strategy for when you? Did you have an exit strategy? for when you came in to shoot up the office. <laughs> Did you have that strategy worked out? Honestly, I have much... My exit strategy here... I have an exit strategy for here at the creek. Hell, I've got an arsenal for here at the creek. All I've got right. a death not, all right. I've got a sword now. <laughs> Did you know I have a sword now? I just saw the sword. I've got a samurai sword now. <laughs> okay. But yes, I have an exit strategy for this place, but I, I didn't really think about it much at the Onion. That's great. So, yeah, Charlie Edbo could have learned a thing or two by... Uh, by just getting an arsenal in the offices. Joe, I love the the term you used, punching up, though, and, uh, you know, taking on people with power. That's the one in, uh, issue that I that I'm wondering if they made if they make a mistake because the Muslim community again it's not really well accepted and they're not really you know mainstreamed uh, in French society. They don't have any really political representation. So are these people just being? dare we say nerdy bullies, which is sort of a way that the nerd has gone these days, is they do take a turn uh, for mean. Uh, you know, kind of. I, I think that, uh, although it's interesting, the people that, as somebody pointed out, uh, the people that, the, the the shooters were not completely impoverished, marginalized. They had been, they had been fairly mainstream. Like one had been uh, on television as part of the, you know, as part of a national program. To Are you telling me that the dude who shot up the offices has more TV credits than me? <laughs> <laughs> this is, I am livid. I'm livid. 
Well, he was a he was a recurring character. He was like he was a recurring character in five episodes on Friends. I don't know if you noticed. Oh that. man, I missed that episode <laughs> when Ross gets a suicide vest. <laughs> Rachel will love me now, or I will blow up. That's great. Oh, if only that uh, that would have really made uh, that would have made it a lot more interesting for me. Oh but, yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's I think that that's kind of in a way that is kind of like the weird. You know, it is kind of a. There are people that were in their late teens, early like late teens, early twenties. Is my understanding? They, uh, you know, I think it's. I mean, more than anything, it's just a very bad time in people's lives. Uh, you know, you 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 want to. That's when you. That's when you formulate all your radical ideas, and then as you get older, your radical ideas kind of like moderate, and you, you know you start to sort of come out in the middle. I yeah, I think there were thirty two and thirty four. The uh, Kawachi oh, they were, brothers. They were thirty two and thirty four. Never mind. Fuck that. Then they were just fucking nuts. Uh, right. Yeah. But the other. Yeah. They were all uh, in their early thir- early thirties or uh, mid twenties. Yeah. Except for. But the- I think what you're saying. What you're saying now. I think that that still does make some sense when you look at the ISIS recruiting and sure. or the ISIL recruiting specifically from Europe. A lot of these people that are going over there, they are in their late. In some of them, like mid teens, some are fourteen, yeah. fifteen. Uh, late teens, early twenties, uh, and funny thing is that I think you're very right when you say that you tend to calm down on that because those people who went over there they calmed down on the ISIS shit real fucking quick because they <laughs> oh were, my God. all of them were immediately like I want to come home I miss my iPod yeah they learn if uh, the the women that go over there the young girls oh, just man. immediately sold into sex slavery or just used as little baby tanks. Uh, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, there's so many people who, uh, you know, back in the day, rebelling used to mean sneaking out of your house and going to a, a, a concert. Dare I even say a Creed concert? Mm. You know, it was that. Mine was, was a Bush concert. A Bush concert, yeah. sure. Some pussy nonsense. Yeah. And nowadays, kids hop on a boat and uh, you know travel through a whole series of countries to get to Syria. It's a different world. Well, so, maybe, maybe that's how I can finally get back at my mom. Yeah. <laughs> Go live a terrible so, life in in uh, the Middle East. So being a satire writer wasn't enough, huh, Ma? We'll take <laughs> So your mother still loves you, huh? She does. My mother still loves me. Um, was there any? Was there ever a situation where the Onion uh, got in trouble with any sort of local government or any federal government situations? We got in trouble with, uh, you know, in... It's funny because we actually got in trouble with uh, uh, the, the state of Wisconsin a couple times, but never to any extreme. I remember that anti-cheese curd article. <laughs> <laughs> the cheese curd heard around the world. <laughs> well, back when it was only local, it was like, when it was just a local Madison paper. We ran a, you know, Governor Changes, uh, or the Tommy Thompson Changes title of Governor to Sexecutioner. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but we didn't really, you know, there wasn't really a whole lot of other, you know, I can go back just a So you called Tommy Thompson the sexecutioner. Yeah, we also said that the the governor declared... uh, No, actually, here's another thing. One of the few retractions we ever printed uh, was Governor uh, Governor Tommy Thompson uh, declares declares it national... um, Governor Tommy Thompson declares February Masturbation Month. <laughs> and uh, he was super upset about that? And they were super upset about that, and so they contacted The Onion, and we printed the retraction that he actually meant National Sodomy Month. <laughs> um, then the other the other retraction we did was when somebody, uh, we, we printed an obituary for Santa Claus, 
somebody uh, responded very angry, a very angry parent called and said, my son saw that, he was very upset. And so we printed the retraction saying Santa Claus was not actually dead, he was just addicted to crack. <laughs> oh, uh, that's good. <laughs> so that was good. Uh, and then that kind of stood until a couple, until like a year and a half, uh, until a year and a half ago when they printed the retraction for the Kavanjane Wallace tweet. Which okay. I thought was, uh, I didn't really like the tweet. You know, this is interesting. Let's you talk know. about that for one second. By the way, just to just to uh, give people some perspective, Tommy Thompson was a Republican governor in, in the early 90s in Wisconsin, and he was a notorious punchline. He's a big, fat uh, dude who was just, he was, he's a sort of a Santorum type. Okay. Very socially conservative, so the, uh, okay. the, the sodomy retraction is dead on. Yeah, let's go to this tweet. The Onion... Um, with the way technology has gone and the way, you know, uh, everything sort of lives online now and, and uh, you know, the news shows parody cable news as opposed to, uh, you know, traditional late night news. Um, discuss what happened with The Onion and the tweet and perhaps The Onion sort of pulled an Ed Bow and was trying to reach. I think here's what I think. Uh, here's my take on it. I mean, well, first of all, what was the yeah, tweet? Wait, just, to, just to refresh people's memories. It was a live tweet during the Academy Awards and uh, Kavanjani Wallace from uh, uh, gosh, what was the film again? It was uh, uh, Beast of the Southern Wild. Mm. Uh, she, she was uh, she was nominated for an Academy Award and one of the live tweets from the Onion's feed was uh, Nobody ever is afraid to say it, but that Kavanjane Wallace is a real cunt. Right. Um, yeah. Something to that effect. And it was like, you know, uh, it was shocking. And I think I can understand the point that, you know, I think it is like sarcastic in a way because she's, you know, anything but. She seems like a delightful little girl. Uh, well, now she's a delightful tween, so probably less delightful. Um, she is, and, and, and nobody was saying, I think it was sort of a, a take on it was sort of a take on the way entertainment journalism is ready to knock celebrities down as fast as they prop them up. Right. But at the same time, I thought it was like, I, I didn't think it was spot on. And I thought that the reaction slash retraction was very quick. And, and I think that the onion should have had a chance to stand by it. But what happened is there was a very quick and rapid outcry People retweeted it. People like showed screen caps of it. They pulled it, which I think fanned the flames uh, because mm -hmm. that's sort of like tantamount to saying, "Oh, we did something wrong." And then the CEO came on the came on and wrote a letter saying, "We that had no satirical point. We we erred. That was a big mistake." And that's just not true. I mean, I think that was you know, I think he hung the writers out to dry. I really feel strongly that that was the wrong thing to do. I, think I don't that know it, why well, anybody hasn't noticed yet. With these big controversies and this th these things like that, people immediately pulling them and all that, if you ignore it, it goes away. Yeah. Like, there have been plenty of... There have been times when people have gotten into trouble uh, for that, or people have, you know, been offended by something. They ignore it, and it goes away, and they right. forget about it because they need that interaction. They need that back and forth to write a story about it. As a satirical right. newsman, uh, with the internet and stuff like that, obviously Twitter, all these these people, um, first of all, I think we're taking their tweets far too seriously. Mm. People who are offended, they, they I think they have far too much weight in the conversation. Yeah. As someone who does satirical news, uh, is it, do you think it's becoming more difficult to uh, to toe the line because the line is consistently being pushed um, closer and closer to uh, people being uh, you know e more easily offended. 
Uh, I think that you just have to ignore the line uh, to a certain extent. There are things you don't want to, you know, you don't want to come out as a racist asshole. You don't want to come out as a as a misogynist twerp. You want to, but you want to at the same time acknowledge that, you know, that all sides have something worth making fun of. Um, so it's it was hard, you know. I think that uh, it's like it probably is hard to toe the line, but then again, the line there's. You know, I, I think that like you know, you if you're going to be a really good a satir, satire publication or a good satirist, you just can't pay attention to the line. Right. What you have to pay attention to is your own heart, and that sounds really cheesy to say, but I I firmly believe it. And I just want to say, um, you nailed the word of the day, twerp. <laughs> That's great. Congratulations, Joe. You just won yourself the beer you're going to drink after this. Hey. <laughs> That's very exciting. One one more Samuel Adams coming up. That's what's available at the Price Chopper up here. <laughs> price Chopper. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a grocery. I love regional grocery store oh, chains. The best. This one is called Price Chopper. And there's room to roam. You have uh, you know you can run all around in those grocery stores upstate. I know it's so nice. It's perfect. Uh, don't you guys miss that though? You I mean you? Oh guys yeah, I do. Our grocery stores. It's just amazing, just being able to like run your cart all over the place, and instead of having to go to like, uh, say, uh, you know, uh, say the cute food, yeah, yeah, exactly, where you just have a basket that you have to like overflow because you can't push your cart uh, through the aisles. So. Yeah, they're not even big enough to have those motorized carts, which were so fun to roll around when uh, roll around in as a kid. And who usually used the motorized carts? Was it people with true disabilities? No, they ate oh. themselves out of walking. <laughs> it was mostly people who just ate themselves straight out of mobility. Yes, and then went to buy more food, and they didn't even walk to do that. Right. I love your uh, the uh, quote in your article um, in defense of offense in, of offense of offense uh, where you talk about it's just pretty much a knee uh, a circle knee jerk reaction has happened with the Western society when it comes to um, all of a sudden being on the side of uh, of free speech, but in such unbelievable like we have never banned anybody from saying anything in all of these cultures. You have Angelo Merkel uh, down there marching Benjamin Netanyahu. You have the uh, president of Egypt. Egypt has put more uh, journalists in prison in 2013 and 2014 than any other um, so-called democracy. Uh, so do you think there's a certain amount of like, what do you, why, why do you think this issue in particular, do you think the, it's because the Muslims are the punchline, because the Muslims are the butt of the joke, that these people are sort of galvanizing around this notion of free speech, even though we know for a fact that all of them have, uh, have, a, have a, you know, chokeholded their own journalists in their own ways? Uh, I think it's part of that, to be perfectly honest. I think that, you know, everybody wants to see be seen as, uh, as a proponent of free speech, and it's very popular to do that. Uh, nobody wants to be seen as the person who, who was, you know, I mean, uh, nobody, like, you know, as a lot has been, uh, you know, I'm totally biking on, I believe it was Nigeria, 2,000 dead. Uh, Boko Haram, 2,000 dead. This just happened over the weekend. Yeah. And uh, no one really covered it. And this is, this happens on a, on a monthly basis uh, with Boko Haram. And uh, no one, no one felt the need to mention it whatsoever. Yeah, I, I think it's like, you know, because it's it's a horrible, I mean, that's a horrible situation, but they're, you know, they were 2,000 brown people as opposed to 15 or 14 educated uh, Parisians. And, you know, it's just, it's it's sad and sordid, and I think it's like, you know, I think, but the thing is, I think that people want to be seen 
promoting and purporting like purporting to promote free speech. It's interesting though that Angela Merkel was there because you know uh, there's certainly a very some very unpopular topics you can't discuss in Germany. That's uh, right. <laughs> I was uh, yeah I was going to mention if you deny the Holocaust you can see prison time. Um, yeah. And you know it's. And I think those people should be allowed to deny the Holocaust because that way people can say you people are full of shit and people right. can stand up and actually fight the fight that instead of having to like how like how about like coward behind it. it i don't know and it's not exactly alleviating the fact that the neo-nazi movement is on the rise among a lot of western european countries and that's yeah. also why hardcore islam extremism is on the rise in places like france because again you know the banning of the burqas and the the unbelievable intolerance towards their religion because they're secular humanists uh like you said before yeah what exactly so it's very it's just very strange you know it's like I, I it does seem very you know there's certain there's certainly a lot of like anti-immigration sentiment here in the united states but right. it's just not near like but not nearly to the point you you have in other countries you know there's like the you know i feel like we may a lot of verbiage is given to the to the anti-immigration sentiment but largely we're just sort of like you know we accept that that's the way it is and that you know people are always going to want to come here and that we are you know if we lead by example we can provide a better life for people and everybody will be you know of course i'm hoping that we will all be able to have better lives in the future but uh right uh i'm a little bit skeptical just given the way the you know given the way uh everything is uh, you know the economy is going right now so we have sorry that was a little bit of a detour but no no uh, it's great joe uh so yeah so we have the cunt uh tweet from uh from the onion that went that went too far i was doing some research on old school racist 1940s cartoons here <laughs> in the united states and uh you know like uh black sambo my parents actually when they lived in texas they worked at a restaurant called sambo's oh. they've been closed down uh <laughs> since the 80s i believe they found that to be an extremely offensive brand at some point in time really quick, um, uh, really quick aside before you continue I, uh, I one of my favorite one of my favorite jokes I wrote for the audience it was for a stat shot it was uh, the, the topic was uh, favorite restaurant uh, favorite regional restaurant chain yeah and uh, the one I, the joke I wrote that got in was formerly Sambo's <laughs> <laughs> Sambo's was a real place yeah, yeah. I, think, and I like the fact that they would actually change the name to formerly Sambo's <laughs> without actually getting rid of the racist part entirely right that'd be like the Redskins we were Redskins <laughs> yeah. no, I actually remember that infographic I think one of them was like JP McPickle fuckers yes <laughs> <laughs> uh, who came up with McPickle fuckers it was me Huey you're uh, raised you get a raise for the pickle fuckers great line uh, where do you think these uh, these um, cartoons fall on there with Edbo as far as Ebdo um, as far as far as racist caricatures go because you can see a lot of similarities with the way they depicted blacks with the you know big lips and you know the the you know red lips and big ears and eyes and everything and the way that they uh, depict the Prophet Muhammad and and Muslims in general it does look to be extremely extremely racist yeah uh, I mean, they were. I mean, the cartoons of the '40s were extremely racist, without a doubt. I Do you think, see a lot of similarities though between them uh, and uh, what Edbo does? Um, uh, I boy, it's really hard to say. I, I mean, I think that there's a lot. I don't want to come out and say. Here's the thing. Like, I'm trying. Like, speaking of towing the line, I'm trying to find like strike the balance between like saying yes, they 
are certain are very racially insensitive and they should have because like anytime you do that it sort of sounds like you're victim blaming yeah it sounds like victim blaming to to say well these cartoons were racist i think that they were racist and i think that there is you know white privilege is a phrase that's evoked a lot and it's like you know in, in at least here in american culture and i don't know if it's really considered that much in france but i think that there is a lot of that you know it's very easy to say we're not racist even at the same time you're depicting uh muslims as big lipped like large nose caricatures and same with jews and whatever it's a very difficult uh you know and, and so it's like but i i don't believe that i i again don't believe anybody deserves to be shot over it, and I right. firmly believe they had they were within the rights for doing that. I just think that they should like I don't know. I wish that we were we as a civilization and they uh, in general were past that shit. You know, I but I don't think we're going to get past that shit by not doing it uh, by pers- by sort of banning it outright or by telling people what they can and can't do. I think we get past it by acknowledging that this exists and talking about why it's racist and why it's not, you know, and why uh, people get upset about it and not necessarily telling people don't ever do that because it's bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I also just uh, just read an article in France the same the same weekend. Ironically, they banned a stand up uh, comedian who was anti uh, Semitic. Yeah. So they just banned him. So there's definitely a, uh, a, a double standard, I think, I think going on uh, as well. I don't know if there's going to be a fast food restaurant named Muhammad uh, <laughs> popping up in France. But if there is, uh, well, there was also a guy who worked at Charlie Hebdo uh, who was fired for being anti Semitic. And right. uh, they said they asked him to apologize. If he apologized, he would. Uh, um, he would be given his job back, and he said that he would, quote, rather cut off his own balls hmm. than apologize. Wow. Oh. See, that's a guy after my own heart. <laughs> I might apologize and or not apologize and cut off my own balls. I'm sick of these things. Yeah. Oh, they're awful. Tell me about it. What, what good are they for? They're just like, they're just, they're just things to be kicked in comedy movies at this point. <laughs> um, it's gonna, if you ever have a child, you have to describe balls as just that. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, you had a- just, you'll know what those are for eventually. They're they're really funny when they're kicked by uh, by an old lady in a comedy movie. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, you well, had a question regarding the nine eleven issue. Yeah, I got I got one more question about uh, the onions nine eleven issues. It isn't necessarily completely uh, attached to the uh, the Charlie Hebdo conversation, uh, but right now we live uh, as opposed to two thousand one when most people still had a fifty six k hookup. People didn't even have cable internet so the internet wasn't necessarily uh, a big thing in the world uh, I mean now we live in the age of ubiquitous opinion right. Uh, right. where everybody's got an opinion and everybody uh, not only is allowed to voice their opinion they're almost expected to voice their opinion mm-hmm. do right. you think that if that issue because you said that you had some apprehension about that issue do you think it would have been received differently in 2014 uh, than it did in, in 2000 and it's possible. I think uh, I remember the first day it went online. I arrived at the office, and the very, very first thing I saw, uh, you know, as far as like feedback, was a fax. And that fax was were the words "not funny" written over and over and over on this piece of paper. Oh. And of course, they faxed it. Right. <laughs> God, that's so and, funny. And I'm just like, oh, fuck, what have we done? And then uh, we started getting emails, and the emails were, like, started to be 
like they started trickling in and then they just started flooding in and like we started getting you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails whereas we might get like you know 10 to 12 per uh per issue generally this this was you know mm-hmm. it was an overwhelming response uh a positive response of, of people that were emailing in so i you know i guess the question is would it be received differently i think it would have been harder to do this issue uh do, to do the 9-11 issue now do you think because the onion would have done it I think the onion would probably do it now, but I think they would have to do it a lot faster than they did at the time. At the time we had a lot more leisure to come up with a really good take. Mm-hmm. And we were, you know, because we were still kind of married to a public a print publication schedule at the time. So we were, you know, so we had the time to finesse everything to really sort of make sure it was, it was uh, well done and what, you know, make sure it was worded perfectly. And Rob Siegel was there probably like 90 hours editing the thing that week. Um, so I think, uh, I think, but now I think the, because of, because any asshole can have a tumbler you have to do things a lot faster. And I don't know if it would be the same issue. I would like to think that we would be, the Onion would be able to do the same uh, kind of quality, but mm. I, you know, I question whether you can maintain that quality while you're, you know, while you're, when you have to like turn something, when you have to shit something out in like yeah. 25 to 30 minutes or something like that. Like that, after. Well, I definitely think it used to be a lot easier to, you know, um, hold yourself to the standard of like, I'm a comedian. I'm a satirist. No one will tell me what to do. And now we live in a world where literally everyone can tell you what to do. And when those opinions actually start coming in, I think the, it's much more difficult to hold that point of view. It's difficult to get shit on. Yeah. You know, and it's different. You're, you're right. These Tumblr pages catch fire. Next thing you know, that's like the the narrative. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to control your comedic voice and control your satirical narrative without it getting kind of ruined by everyone who didn't understand or did understand and just took offense to it. Well, and that's one thing that the Onion has gotten right uh, is that they don't have a comments page. They don't have comments on the articles because of the moment you open yourself up to. I mean, people can email, but you're not going to start a com- like you're not going to start like there's not going to be you know any. Any comments page or like you know, mm-hmm. for example, it just becomes a, a pissing match between between people who. I mean, there's a Facebook. You know, the Facebook had an onion has an onion page. There's an onion Facebook page, and you'd see it there. But right, I mean, but, you know, people play that game six degrees to Kevin Bacon, and the uh-huh. comments section is six degrees to the N word. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's you can have a, you can literally have a, an article about something as mundane uh, as a dog who uh, barked at the TV when a TV dog barked when yeah. he was watching. Like this dog loves Air Bud, you should too. Within the sixth comment, uh, Barack Obama's a Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think uh, that that's a good point to be made there when you said that you know that you were really able to pour over the stories. I think that there's an element of, of thoughtfulness that. It's really lost these days. I haven't been keeping track of the onion as much as I should. I mean, not necessarily. I'm not ta- really talking general, about the onion. Yeah. I'm just talking about, uh, yeah, in general, uh, yeah. and the types of comedy and specifically the types of satire that people produce. Yeah, everybody wants a hot take. Uh, every publication wants to have, I, I, you know, every publication wants to say something within like within 12 hours. Otherwise, people move on to the next thing, and right. that's really, it's really kind of a weird, you know, it's kind of weird. I. 
keep on hoping that we're going to, I keep on thinking, no, maybe we'll move out of that, but I don't think we can. We've kind of gone past the point of being able, we can't, we can't rein that in. We can't make people, we can't expect, now that people have instant gratification, we can't expect them to wait for, you know, wait for somebody to actually come up with a, a thoughtful, reasoned opinion. Yeah. Um, well, thank and, you, uh, Joe. I want to say thanks so much for being here. I just want uh, one more thing with, uh, as far as like satire goes, where do you see it going in the future? Where do you see it? I mean, because I do think we we live in a time now where it is under attack, and it's a it's very and so I do agree with that sentiment behind the people who are um, fully one hundred percent in support of Ebo and Ebdo uh, uh, and his and his team. Um, it is under attack right now, and it's diff- more difficult than ever to make jokes, and it's more difficult than ever to uh, to to be humorous. Where do you think satire is going to go? I think it always ebbs and flows. I think that there are times when it's. Uh you know, I mean, we're kind of in a golden age right now with, uh, you know, with The Daily Show and and Colbert, the recently, like, moved on Colbert, I should say. Yeah. And The Onion. And, all you know, those are, like, some producing some amazing content. You know, there's it's some really great some really great stuff coming out of there. And I think, you know, they those bodies will continue. And I think there's also other great publications like The Reductress, for example, which does their... Uh, it's like a fake news site about, you know, uh, sort of, but it satirizes women's journalism. Mm. I think it might become a little bit more fragmented uh, like that. I mean, I, I, I stand by the reductresses. Like, they, like, I, their stuff makes me laugh on a regular basis. I think they're probably one of the better, like, satirical news sites that's not The Onion uh, right now. Uh, but they, uh, but I think, you know, it might become a little bit more fragmented and people, but I think, it won't go away. I mean, there will always be somebody at the back of the classroom, you know, pointing out that the the teacher's fly is down. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's, I think that's always going to be the case. And I can't, you can't make people be reverent. You cannot, like, reverence is not part of the, the you know, reverence is one fart away from from being destroyed forever. Uh, so I, I think it's I think it's one of those things that you you just can't, you, it's it might ebb and flow, but it's never going to go away. I think it's you know, but right now I think it's I think we're in a good a good point, and I think it's going to continue to be in a good point. All right, um, thanks so much, Joe. Do you have any uh, books or anything you would like to plug? Eh, you know, I got this and that. Uh, That's a great book. I, I love this and that. It's my favorite one you wrote. I do have a I do have a I, I do have a comedy sh- uh, two regular comedy shows uh, that I'd like to promote if I could really fast. And they're both at QED, uh, a place to show and tell in Astoria. One is Griff and Joe's Comedy or Holiday Spectacular. Uh, and the other is Monko Sexo with Lux Elptrom from uh, formerly Fleshbot and myself. And uh, we show monkey movies, sex ed movies, fake trailers, and have comedy. So That's great. Ah, ben, actually, uh, yeah, you presented at the Fleshbot Awards one year. You presented a, an award to China. I presented an award to China. I called her a beautiful bovine. And uh, people <laughs> loved it. Or they hated it. I'm not quite sure. Uh, uh, and you got a Twitter, too, right? At, at Joe Garden? At Joe Garden. Yes. And if you are hiring freelance writers, Joe Garden's available for that, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you said yes to this interview. I I said yes because I adore adore you guys. Uh, You you guys know that. Stop. Thank you, Joe. (laughs) Thanks so much, Joe. And that's Marcus Parks on Twitter. I'm Ben Kissel on Twitter. And uh, go to the Able Against Tom Pat page on Facebook and leave some comments and whatnot. And... um, Yeah, I think that's pretty much it, right, Marcus? Yeah, I think so. Awesome, everyone. So we'll talk to you soon. 
Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.